Good evening. It's good to see everybody out. Uh, got your boats or whatever you needed to get here tonight. And, and uh, it's good to see you, good to see faces, and to, to be able to, to come together and worship tonight. And thank you for just letting me uh, give just a quick update on uh, what's happening at the children's home. Um, I mostly wanted to, to give you an update on our, our brand new ministry uh, at the children's home. Uh, but before I get to that, let me just say that we, we are so thankful for each of you and for your churches as you continue to support uh, the, the ministry of the, the Baptist Children's Home. For those who may not know, there are five uh, ministries under that big umbrella of the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services. Of course, we have the Baptist Children's Home in Carmi, and um, uh, we've had uh, such an interesting year with, with COVID, and certainly uh, initially when when COVID hit, uh, having to pull all the kids back at home and take them out of school. Let me tell you, homeschooling at a children's home is a lot different than homeschooling at your home. So uh, it was an interesting uh, few weeks there, but God, I was good, and, and we survived it, and they survived it, and, and all is well. As you all also know, our ministry in, in Mount Vernon at Angel's Cove, uh, we, we're still up and running there. Uh, right now, we're full with five young women who, uh, three of them are pregnant, two of them recently have had their baby. And so uh, God is uh, really making a difference in the lives of, of those moms and those babies. Uh, if you don't know, Angel's Cove is a residential home for, for young women who are homeless uh, and are pregnant and uh, need a place to, to live, but also, uh, to also, also to come to hear uh, the good news of Jesus Christ and how he loves them. And so we do that at Angel's Cove. Our faith adoption ministry has had a busy, busy few months uh, in 2020, in the middle of COVID, we placed three infants in homes. And so God continues to, to work in the, the ministry of faith adoption. And Pathways Counseling, uh, which um, many of you may know, uh, we have even a counselor that comes here to 10 Mile uh, one day a week. Uh, but that counseling ministry has continued to grow over the past year. Uh, we've been able to use uh, uh, telehealth to, to see people. Uh, so, so now uh, we can literally serve anyone uh, anywhere in the state of Illinois through, through, through that technology. And so God continues to allow us to, to serve. But, you know, 2020 was interesting in, in, in other ways because it's your ministry at the Baptist Children's Home. Uh, and in keeping, I think, with our history of, of if, if you know, the children's home uh, was born, so to speak, in the middle of a pandemic. In 1917, if you know that time period, not only were we on the heels of a world war, but we were right in the middle of the Spanish flu pandemic. And because of that, many children were orphaned. And so from that, the ministry of the Baptist Children's Orphanage, which later became the Baptist Children's Home, which is now the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, uh, was born literally out of a pandemic. And in keeping in, in uh, 103 years later, uh, even though we didn't want to have another one, uh, God allowed us to continue to, to work and to open our newest ministry, which is Grace Haven. If you don't know anything about Grace Haven, Grace Haven is a pregnancy resource uh, clinic, and we have opened that in Mount Vernon. Uh, it's actually next door to Angel's Cove on Lincolnshire Drive, if you know where that is. But that ministry uh, is, is, just, is, is there to really uh, uh, impact families and, and uh, the unborn. Did you know that every single day in the state of Illinois, that seven days a week, every single day in the state of Illinois, there are 116 abortions? 
And did you know that, you know, that's the equivalent of three to four classroom of children who will never get to attend a classroom uh, every single day in our state? That also means there's at least 116 young women and families who are unsure about how to be a parent. And so how can God has chosen to, to use this ministry at Grace Haven uh, to make a difference uh, and hopefully serve those people and those families and, and show them and support them so that they can give life to their, their child? How are we going to do that? Well, did you know that uh, studies have shown that if, if uh, an abortion-minded mom sees her baby, 85 to 90% of them will choose to birth that child. And so we have an ultrasound machine in, in Grace Haven, and through the use of that technology uh, and uh, our, our trained and certified nurses who perform those, uh, we're able to show uh, those families those, those, that life that is inside that, that, that mom's womb. And so God is really uh, going, in my uh, 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 best estimation, do some miraculous things through that ministry, not only in the present, but to affect the generations to come. Now, it hasn't been easy. It's been kind of a, a challenging year to do a lot of things, and there's a lot of stuff I could tell you about and, and, and bore you. But there's, there's three verses in Proverbs that have really kind of become my guide uh, over the past year. And, and uh, these verses, I think, really speak to why we are doing what we're doing through your ministry at the Baptist Children's Home. And, uh, and I'm going to read these three verses right quick, but they're from Proverbs in chapter 24, and it's verses 10, 11, and 12. Now, if you know Proverbs, Proverbs are in different sayings. So one verse might be a saying, and the next verse a different one. Well, that's true in here. Verse 10 is one saying, and verses 11 and 12 is a second saying. But the way they flow together really has been verses that God has used for me to, to remind me of why we're doing what we do. Verse 10 says, if you slack in the day of distress, your strength is limited. So that was kind of a hit in the face. You can't, you can't grow faint, you can't grow weary when it's harder to do the work that I've called you to do. Well, what is the work that he's called us to do? Well, he answers that in the next two verses. Verse 11 says, and my phone just cut off, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter Oh, hold them back. There's kind of that imperative there in that verse of, oh, hold them back. You know, when, when I read that verse, I think about who, who are those that are being delivered or, or taken away to death? Well, if you read, you know, the commentators, much, people who are much smarter than I am about this verse, it can be either two groups of people. One, who are being led away to death because of injustice. Or others, simply those who are living a life that is on a, a pathway to destruction, a pathway to death. I believe that's what our ministry at Grace Haven is doing. It is literally rescuing those from an injustice who are being taken away to death. And also our desire is to hold those, those families back who are stumbling towards down a pathway of, of destruction. And that's what we're to do as believers, right? And, and, and finally, verse 12, if you read that, uh, what... Uh, I get from that simply is there's no excuse for not doing those things. And so as, as, as uh, we work together, as we serve our state of Illinois together uh, to support life, life from, from uh, the preborn to life of, of natural death, 
I, I want to sh- share and, 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 and my sincere appreciation to you and to your churches for being a part of that, uh, that ministry each and every day. It's because of you that uh, life uh, is being uh, uh, the center and life is being allowed to be born. Thank you. Well, I invite you to turn God's Word with me tonight to Acts chapter 4. And while you're turning there, um, I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. So if you got that translation, you'll track right with me. If not, you may have to just kind of fill in the blanks and, and um, skim along. But um, a couple things before we start. Uh, I usually, in my preaching, aim for about 30 minutes. And uh, sometimes I'm successful. So we'll see how, where we end up tonight. Um, and uh, is my hope, I, I'm going to uh, say some things tonight that, that are about where we are as a culture. And it will involve some things that intersect the political. I'm not here to be offensive tonight, but I do also know that the gospel can be offensive where it crosses things, and uh, I, I would say, what I'm going to say is not going to be a problem for most of you, and it is not my goal to be negative tonight, but to be real. Um, I started preaching in the book of Acts, I'm still in chapter one, I've got four or five sermons in, I've got one more to go um, on Sunday mornings. I preached through Luke for two and a half years. Um, and my intent when I started Luke was to go to Acts to get both of Luke's works together, knowing that the book of Acts um, is very, the Bible's always relevant, no matter what period of time you're in. But the book of Acts is becoming ever more so poignant or relevant to the culture we're in today. The church was birthed into a Roman culture um, and, and right in Jerusalem where Judaism was hostile to what was going on. And the early church dealt with a whole lot of issues and a culture that was not that much different in some ways than where we are today. There was a lot of homosexuality. Um, there was just a lot of sexual immorality, period. When you read Paul's letters and the other New Testament writers, they're dealing with these issues and they're very real issues and they were issues within the church. First generation Christians, uh, the book of Corinth, Corinth was a mess because of all this stuff involved in pagan worship and all this. and, And what I see, and I think probably you see it too, we are rapidly heading in this kind of direction, have been going there for a long time. Some of these things are nothing new under the sun. Uh, since the book of Genesis, there's been sexual immorality and homosexuality and all these things. It's just ramped up huge in our country in the last several years. Ten years ago, we would have thought, yeah, that's possible, but we wouldn't have thought we would have been where we are quite yet. And things have just accelerated in the last couple of years. Uh, A pandemic, 
an election year, already a whole lot of stuff. And it's just been building and building and building. And so the book of Acts, and what I'm going to read tonight, I think is so important to us. We're going to be in chapter 4, but let me, let me bring you up in, in, in the book of Acts. So Luke begins Acts where he left off in Luke. Jesus is about to ascend back to heaven. He's giving them instructions. Go back to Jerusalem. Stay there until the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses. And um, so he ascends. They go back to Jerusalem. They're in prayer. They're together for a period of nine, ten days till the Holy Spirit comes on them. Um, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They begin to speak in other tongues. They speak in languages of people that are gathered there that had come for the Passover and had stayed the 50 days until Pentecost. They heard the glories of God being proclaimed in their own heart language. They said, what's going on? Somebody says, oh, they're just drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, that is not the case. And he begins to preach the gospel. And 3,000 people get saved on the day of Pentecost. So, that's chapter 2. We go on to chapter 3. Peter and John, sometime later, we're not given the time frame, are going up to the temple to pray in the afternoon. There's a crippled man there that's begging. Peter says to him, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. The man stands up, he begins to leap, he begins to praise God. A crowd begins to gather and say, what's going on? We, this guy was crippled. How can he be jumping around? And Peter takes the opportunity again, and he begins to preach the gospel. That's where we are at the end of chapter 3 going into, into chapter 4. So we're going to read an extended passage. Acts has some long narratives. And uh, to understand what's going on, I think reading all 31 verses that I'm going to read is necessary. So let's read Acts chapter 4 verse 1. It says, While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were, my translation says, annoyed. Nobody gets annoyed by the gospel today, do they? More so every day. They were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed and, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any farther among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Remember that, that's an important phrase here too. Peter and John answered them, here's another important one, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. Here's the section I really want us to get tonight. After they were released... So let's just stop a second. Okay, so they've been arrested, they've been threatened, and now they've been dismissed. Don't speak anymore in the name of this Jesus. We don't want you to do that. You're causing too much of a ruckus. It's offensive. We don't like it. So just stop it. And they say, hey, we got to do what we believe is right. You do what you think you got to do, but we're going to do what we got to do. We've had a little bit of that in our culture in the last year, haven't we? You guys can't meet for church. Oh, yeah? Who's greater, God or the government? Here, let's go on. After they were released, notice their, pay attention to what they do. After they were released, they went to their own people, the believers, and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, or some translations say, Sovereign Lord, you are the one who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit, by by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel assemble together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats. And grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they prayed, or were done praying, the place where they were assembled was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began to speak the word of God boldly. To my knowledge, this is the only time a prayer meeting, the building's been shaken. It's a rare occurrence. But oh, that we would have some prayer meetings like that. And I think they may be coming. I don't know that the ground is going to shake or the building's going to shake, but I think God's shaking His people right now and saying, Wake up! Will you guys pray? Pray! And this is the prayer we need to be praying. Let me go through a few things that they didn't do. They didn't run and hide. Remember what they did when Jesus was arrested? They ran and hid. They were in hiding when he appeared in the upper room. Because they thought they were going to be next. They didn't run and hide. They didn't give up and quit. They weren't Baptists. They didn't form a committee or hold a business meeting to decide what should be done. They didn't call their lawyer. They didn't file a lawsuit. They didn't call or write their senator or representative. They didn't try to get a new law passed about it. They didn't try to get Christians or new people elected. They didn't protest. They didn't riot. They didn't ask God to change the heart of the leaders or ask for favor with the leaders. That's what we would do, wouldn't we? I've prayed that. and I, I'm not saying that's a wrong prayer. And get this, they didn't even ask God to protect them. They understood they might die. Their leader had been hung on a cross a couple of months before. And their leader had told them, you can't follow me, you can't be my disciple unless you what? Take up your cross and follow me. They knew exactly what he was meaning. They lived in a culture where crucifixions were a regular thing. And for Jesus to say, take up your cross, they knew exactly what he was saying to them. Six of them died on a cross. The others died by sword, spear, arrow, stoning. John died of old age, but he was imprisoned on the island of Patmos because of the Word of God and His testimony. That's how the book of Revelation begins. Later, others would be burned alive. I'm not saying we shouldn't do any of those things I listed. But the first and most important thing for us to do is exactly what they did, and that was get together and pray. And ask for God to help them to do the very thing they had been commissioned to do. Because they were commissioned to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. To preach it everywhere. Starting in Jerusalem. Then to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so when they're threatened not to speak anymore in this name or about this Jesus. They're being told to do the very opposite thing their leader had told them to do. Jesus had told them to go and preach the gospel. 
So we cannot do that. So God, help us to be bold. Give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel. And they got what they asked for because they prayed a prayer that God could and wanted to answer. We need to be praying that same prayer. And I wonder, sometimes I question, not to say that we all can't improve in prayer, but question you're praying. What are you praying for? Are you praying in faith? Are you believing God for anything? A lot of our praying is pathetic, to be real honest, mine included. It's weak and anemic. Sometimes I don't expect that much. But this is a time for us to pray for boldness. It's not a time to shrink back. The gospel is the remedy for the world we're in and the, the hell it's going to, to keep people from going there. It's the only hope. The only hope. Whatever your party is, it's not the rescue. It's not the lifeblood for our nation. I don't care, Democrat, Republican. Politics ain't saving this nation. Only Jesus can save. America's changing fast. And most of it isn't good. And our highest priority is not saving America. It's not. If if America dying meant the salvation of millions of people in America, let it die. Let it die. We've got a, an identity crisis going on. Christian nationalism. Okay, you, you guys, you got the flags. They're on my stage too. I removed our flags at one point in time. And VBS, we do things backwards. Typically to what they do. I decided a few years ago, Bible school, the Word of God is the first pledge. Because it's the most important. And it tells us about this kingdom that this flag represents. This flag, honestly, sorry veterans, and I don't mean this in any offense. I know people have fought for this flag, and that's not the kind of thing I'm meaning, okay? But that flag's irrelevant in eternity. It really is. Yes, we we honor America. We respect it. I disagree with the kneeling thing. I understand what's behind it. There was a whole big hubbub and I got mad at the NFL and I didn't watch games this year because Drew Brees couldn't have his opinion about standing for the flag and everybody jumped on him and Tony Dungy disagreed with him but he stood up for Drew Brees and then everybody jumped on Tony Dungy and I said, to heck with you. I'm done. I'm not saying I'm never watching another NFL game but this is ridiculous. I could say a little bit more, but I'm going to leave, leave that there. But the highest priority is not saving America. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to a different kingdom where the king of kings reigns. If America dies or become communist, God's still on His throne. Many a Christian has lived through this kind of thing. That's not where I want to go. We have to keep seeking the salvation of souls. Again, it's the only hope for change. We must keep making disciples and really make disciples. That's our job. We've not done a good job of making disciples. Probably some of the reason we're in the crisis we're in. We must make sure in our making disciples that people understand there's a cost to following Christ. There's a cost. It's about to cost more, maybe a lot more, to be a Christian in the United States. But it might be the best thing that ever happened to the American church. Let me ask you a question. I don't know that it's going to ever come to this. But it's a question we need to look square in the face and answer. Because it's one you need to answer like some other ones you need to answer before you get there. And it's this. Are you ready to lose everything for Him? Are you ready to lose everything for Him? Suffering and persecution makes the church stronger and more committed. And it's an irony that it even grows in times of persecution. I think God is kicking the props out from under us. I think He's shaking the foundation, maybe removing some idols. We're going to have to depend on Him like never before. We should be depending on Him all the time. But let's be honest. Most of the time we're dependent on ourselves. We do a lot of things in our own power, own ability, from our own wisdom. Our status as churches and respect as as churches and and Christians, our our safety is threatened. I don't know whether you heard about this. I get most of my news and just reading headlines. Occasionally I'll click on a story and I'll read it. Uh, Get it in short doses. But there was a church in California that I think they threw a pipe bomb in there or something and bombed the church. Nobody was inside. This has been a month or two back. But the preacher there, and he may not have done it in the greatest of ways. He may sometimes... We can come off hateful. Sometimes we are hateful about homosexuality and these things. Folks, we're no better than any other sinner. We're all sinners. We're all needing the grace of God. We always got to remember that. And I, I try to, to be careful that I don't come off hateful or judgmental. But this preacher had preached against these issues. Thus, related the bomb and... In that town, and I can't remember the name of the town, but a petition had been circulated, and it was a pretty good-sized town because they had collected, I think it's like thirteen or 14,000 signatures that this church leave town. 
Really? <laughs> this is where we are. And don't expect it to, to get any less. That's one. I don't know that there's been any others. But this is the attitude of the culture towards the church. We don't want you. We don't want you. We don't, we don't like what you're preaching. You're intolerant. You're narrow-minded. Hmm. That street goes both ways. I question when we'll lose our tax-exempt status. And many churches won't be able to afford their buildings at that point. And there again, that might not be the worst thing that ever happened to the church. They take a lot of money, they take a lot of time, and they're the source of a lot of conflict. And there's a lot of places in the world that meet under a tree. You know? And they have church for four hours in those places. Expect threats to come. They're already there. Censure. The wokesters, the cancelers, the intolerant tolerance mob is coming for you and for me. Twitter, Facebook, Amazon just can't took some book off their sales because it had been on there for three years already and because it had something to do with the conversion therapy for gender whatever I think is what it was. They yanked it in the last couple of weeks because it's not politically correct. It doesn't fit with their ideology. If you don't agree with the CNN and ABC and CBS and NBC and MSNBC and PBS and BLM and LGBTQ and the rest of the alphabet, you're on the wrong side of history. You're a hater, racist, homophobe, and so on. If you're a white, male, straight Christian, you're the lowest of the low. That's a bunch of us in this room. Because you're an oppressor. But let me tell you, this is nothing new. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.13, we have become the scum of the earth. Hello, scum. That's how the world feels about us. Get used to it. Just cuddle up to it and embrace it. Because if you're persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. You're blessed. Bill Mayer, that name ring a bell with anybody? I think he used to be on PBS, maybe. Yeah, I think he's on HBO now. I didn't dig in too far, but I watched a video, came up on my YouTube feed. I don't know that anybody fact-checked him about the things he said. But he was blaming the Capitol riot on evangelical Christians. This is where I was saying earlier we have to be careful about um, Christian nationalism. Because there were people there at the rally that day who had crosses and they were praying in groups and some of them had shirts on like 
Jesus is my Savior, Trump is my president, um, some other stuff, Jesus 2020 signs and those sorts of things. And so therefore, because those people were present, that was the mob that overtook the Capitol building. This is the reasoning. I'm not saying that there couldn't have been some in there, but I don't think that's probably the case for most of them. There's a variety of ideologies and perspectives in that crowd. And while I think Trump did have some responsibility in what happened, I don't think it's all his fault. I don't think it's any more his fault than that group of acronyms, the alphabet I listed of media and groups that are out there who have been fueling the fire for a long time. That a bunch of people felt like the America that they have known is being ripped away from them because of the rhetoric that is coming out. And that's not to say Republican Party and Democratic Party aren't to blame in there some too. It's the responsibility of a lot, a lot of people. Bill Mayer, going back to him. I watched that five-minute video. You can check it out. It's on YouTube. Just type in Bill Mayer, America Mass Delusions. Five minutes. That's all it is. I, I promise you, you'll be mad and offended about 20 seconds in and all the way through. The dude mocked the book of Revelation. Mocked it. And he tied in the Capitol riots with all this and talking about, you know, conspiracy theory and all these evangelical Christians, they believe all this stuff. And, and well, just look at Revelation. They believe this. If you believe that, you believe anything. And he said this quote, they've already made space in their head for stuff that doesn't make sense. That's a verbatim quote. So you and I have made stuff, space in our head for stuff that doesn't make sense. If you want to know how the elite world views us, right there you have it. We're idiots. Stupid. Ignorant. Gullible. Because we believe this book that I believe is the inspired Word of God. And I hope Bill Mayer repents. I hope he does. You mock the book of Revelation, that's saying a lot. Someday he's going to see these things fulfilled, maybe. Maybe. Because I think the return of Jesus may be very soon. We've thought that for years. We've thought that for years. But the pieces are there. And as fast as we've seen things change in the last year or two, man, it can just come together quick. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I long for His coming. Finish up with this. Sometimes it seems like we're way outnumbered. And on paper, we probably are. I mean, best guess, you know, 
a third of people are, are Christians. Um, I don't know where America is in that. Maybe more like 25%, but a lot of people, a lot of places, you know, that's kind of an estimate that have, you know, are open to Jesus, whatever. That Those are numbers, 25 to 37%. So we probably, we're, we're outnumbered. And it looks like our backs are against the wall and there's no way to win. But we know in the end who wins. We may lose some stuff here and that's okay. It's okay. We're on the winning team. Jesus has already won. Already won. I read recently 2 Kings chapter 6. Love it. Elisha. Elisha... That was a great prophet. And uh, the king of Aram was waging war against Israel. And, and he, he would do this. And, and God would reveal it to Elijah, Elisha. And Elisha would tell the king of Israel. And so everywhere, you know, they tried to get him, he was foiled. And, and finally, just one day, just, all right, who is telling the king of Israel what is going on? Who, who's on the king of Israel's side here? And... One of the pe- people under him says, King, Elisha tells you what you, or Elisha tells, God tells Elisha what you say in your bedroom. And so he said, see if you can go capture him. So they surround where he is. He was at Dothan. They surround him and says, verse 15, 2 Kings 6, When the servant of the man of God got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elijah, Oh, my master, what are we to do? Elisha said, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed. Here's a prayer to pray. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around. They were not alone. And folks, you and I are not alone. God is one and he outnumbers everybody. We are not alone. We may get the tar kicked out of us. I don't know. But the battle's won. The Lord is with us. Don't give, heart, give up. Don't quit praying. Pray for boldness. Keep sharing the gospel. It is the remedy for the mess we're in. Not everybody will be saved. Maybe God will send a great revival once again. Maybe Jesus won't come back for another hundred years. I don't know. He has changed the course of history through revivals and different things at different times. Nineveh was as wicked as could be. Jonah went there against what he wanted to do and preach and didn't want them to repent and they repented and it changed things. The great awakenings that have happened have changed things. God can do it again. But pray, 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 pray for boldness to speak the word of God. Pray for God to open your eyes. Lord, help me see that there are more for us than there are for them. Don't forget it. Don't forget it.
it, it's not very encouraging. And I, I get angry on a daily basis almost. I get my daily dose of anger. I look at the news. It doesn't take very long. And I tell myself, you just need to quit looking. But I don't want to bury my head in the sand either. I think it's important for us to know what's going on. So we're able to speak to things. So we're able to pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, we need you. Lord, fall on us. Fill us with your spirit. And help us to speak your word with great boldness. Father, we pray for this nation, for our leaders. We ask you to work in hearts and minds. So interesting that Bill Mayer talked about mass delusion. And your word says that you would send a great delusion so that people would believe a lie. I believe that's happened. But Father, you can turn us back again. You are our sustainer. You're the one we're totally dependent upon. And so we ask for your power. We ask for you to give us wisdom. We ask for you to give us grace and compassion for those who would oppose us and be hateful towards us. That we would respond with the love of Christ. And that they might see you in all your greatness and all your love. Lord, we know you're with us. Thank you for the promises of Scripture and the encouragement it gives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.